Well, if not, I'm going to take a reading this morning out of the book of 1 Corinthians uh, in the 6th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, and of course our Sunday school lesson this morning was in for, in the, uh, uh, about uh, out of 1 Corinthians. And there were some times that I thought Brother Alex was going to stomp all over my message because he brought up a few things that, uh, in the adult Sunday school class uh, that, uh, uh, that I will bring out this, hope to bring out this morning. Uh, but I've found that God works that way. Sometimes I've always made a, a, a habit of not looking at the Sunday school lesson before I know what my message is going to be because I don't want to be influenced. Uh, but it's always a, a great blessing when you come and you find out, well, gee, that's, that's exactly where my mind is and things begin to work together. But that's the way that God works. I'm going to begin reading at the uh, sixth verse, I'm sorry, at the ninth verse uh, of the sixth chapter. And let me say before I start reading, I would like this morning to read this from the Amplified Version rather than the King James. Now, that's not to mean that I don't trust the King James, I don't like the King James. I use it all the time. I believe it ought to be the, the basis of every beginning of our study and use. But the nice thing about the Amplified Version is whereas the King James Version goes back mostly to the Latin translations, the, the Amplified Version really goes back to the original Greek. And its objective is to try to bring out the adjectives that modify the thought and the pictures that was in the original Greek. Uh, and I'm no Greek scholar or anything like that, but the reason I want to read this in the, the, the Amplified Version this morning is it is a very serious and important lesson. Uh, and I want you to understand what God's Word says about it, not for us to try to uh, uh, put our own adjectives to it, but to, to get the picture. And see, Greek was a, was a pictorial language. It painted pictures. One of the, the best Greek references that we use is A.T. Robertson's word pictures of the New Testament, and it's a, trans, it's a use of the Greek. And so I want you, particularly young people this morning, to listen to this message and listen to this reading and listen to how clear that it is about what Paul is telling the church at Corinth and how this applies to our society today. Beginning at the sixth ver- or ninth verse of the sixth chapter, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit nor have any share in the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate by perversion. If you want to look up that word effeminate, what it means is a man acting like a woman. That's exactly what it means. Look it up in Webster's Dictionary. Uh, neither the effeminate by perversion. And folks, all we got to do is look at our society and all that's going on in the news that we listen to, and we hear how that's being promoted by this trans movement that's taking place, which is absolutely contrary to the clear word of God. That's why I wanted to read this in the Greek so that you didn't think that I was interpreting something that wasn't there. That's exactly what it's saying, that men are to act like men and not like women. Now, again, it's not talking, as Paul is writing this, he's not talking about a sin, for we all sin and come short of the glory of God. And any one of these may be a sin that we get caught up in, and we are, God will forgive us for all sins. But he's talking 
about lifestyles. That's what he's talking about. In all of this is those who continue in this and embrace these various lifestyles uh, that they will not inherit the kingdom of God because these lifestyles are contrary to the character of God. Uh, And so he says, uh, as we've said here, that uh, nor adulterers who live that lifestyle, nor effeminate by perversion who live that lifestyle, nor those who participate in homosexuality. That's not my word. That's the word coming right out of the scriptures because that's what that word means in the Greek. Uh, And so we know, understand what that is. And so it's very clear that as God's people, that we are standing on God's side when we resist those things and that we say that this is, that it is contrary to the lifestyle of a Christian. That's exactly what Paul is telling the Corinth church. Young people, listen to this. You're hearing something different from society than what you're hearing this morning. Now, I heard these words as I was growing up. Brother Alex mentioned in Sunday school this morning that uh, back in the 60s and uh, that time period, everybody, it seemed, had a respect for God uh, and for the things of God, even if they didn't uh, necessarily claim to be Christian. But that's not the case today. And all you've got to do is listen to the news and see how, uh, how much our society has moved away from the word of God and try to justify it. They try to justify it. Uh, but listen to the words. Uh, Neither thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, whose words are used as weapons to abuse, insult, humiliate, intimidate, or slander. That's what that word means. And again, we're talking about lifestyle, people who participate in that on a continuing basis, nor swindlers will inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God. And such were some of you before you were believers, but you were washed by the atoning sacrifice of Christ. You were sanctified, set apart uh, of God and made holy. You were justified, declared free of guilt in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit of our God, the source of the believer's new life and change. I better start that thing. It won't do me any good if I don't. I want to continue now. In my, in my translation in my book here, it's got a heading right here that says, flee sexual immorality. Now, that's what this next section is about as Paul is writing to this church at Corinth. And I'm going to tell you just a little bit about Corinth in just a moment. It says, everything is permissible to me, but not all things are beneficial. Everything is permissible to me, but I will not be enslaved by anything and brought under its power, allowing it to control me. Now, that's pretty clear. That's pretty clear. We are not to be controlled by anything. Some people are controlled by, by, by their love of sports uh, or, or their love of this or their love of that. Those things in themselves are not wrong. It's, uh, that's the point that he's trying to get across. But if they control your life and you live and breathe and die for them, then, then, uh, then it's wrong and it's contrary. He said, food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will do away with both of them. The body is not intended for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body to save, sanctify, and raise it again because of the sacrifice of the cross. And God has not only raised the Lord to life, but will also raise us up by his power. 
Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Am I therefore to part, to take the members of Christ and make them part of a prostitute? Certainly not. Now I want to give you a note right here. And if you look at an amplified version, there's a little note in there that I think is really nice. Now uh, it helps again to put us in the context of what's going on and remember who Christ or who Paul is writing to. He's writing to the Christ, Christians at Corinth. But the instructions to them is not any different than the instructions to the ones at Colossae or the ones at Rome or anywhere else, and certainly no different than instructions to us today. So even though he's writing to Corinth, uh, it applies to all of us. But Corinth was a unique kind of place, if you will. Corinth was a thriving metropolis, uh, and uh, under the uh, under the Greeks, uh, as it was founded there, uh, and it was one of the most industrial uh, and uh, and metropolises of the world at that time. And when the Romans come in and they overthrew the Greeks and they set up Corinth, it pretty much turned to return to the same thing. Uh, But in Corinth. There was a big temple, uh, when the Greeks had it, to Aphrodite. Uh, And when the Romans had it, that temple was dedicated to Venus. Who was Aphrodite and Venus? They were the goddesses of sexual love. Look it up yourself. Not just love, and we don't always understand that, but that's who they were. And the way that they worshipped those goddesses were... They had prostitutes that were there at the temple, and it was considered a, 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 an act of worship to Venus and Aphrodite to have sexual relations with these prostitutes. And it appears, it appears as though some of the Corinthians in this church who had been saved were still involved in that. And so Paul is telling them they cannot do that. They're no longer their own, and and he's calling that sexual immorality. And so we can see that sexuality was promoted by the society uh, there in Corinth. Is that not the case in our America today, whether you're watching a television ad or, 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 or your, your, the books and all of this that's being promoted in society is in essence the same thing that was happening there. And so they were in a similar situation. As a matter of fact, again, in the, the, uh, the Amplified Version, uh, there's a little uh, a note here that says, Corinth was famous for its prostitutes, and many, if not all, probably practiced their trade in connection with the worship of Aphrodite or Venus. They were, depending on whether you're Greek or whether you were uh, Roman, or the, the, the goddess was the same. Having relations with temple or cult prostitutes was considered acceptable behavior. And Paul's admonition here indicate that some of the Corinthian converts were continuing the practice. So I want you to understand, there's nothing to temptation, there's nothing that you have to endure today or any of us that hasn't been so in the past. But God, who is unchanging, had an opinion about it then, and it's clearly written in this gospel, uh, and it's the same opinion today. It's not changed. And so we can't be uh, going uh, and changing God's word to something that becomes more palatable and acceptable to the society in which that we live. Uh, And that's why I wanted to read this in the Amplified so that there was no mistake about what Paul is saying and how it applies to us today. Do you not know 
that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her, for he says, and then he quotes from Genesis, the two shall be one flesh. So there's something about this uh, relationship that God sanctified, uh, and as he sanctified it, he intended for it to be between husband and wife. That's why that he joined the two together, and Paul is taking that and relating it to that situation. Bear that in mind as you listen to society and as you go out into the world, kids to school and friends and all that's going on, bear in mind what Paul has said here uh, and the point that he wants to make. But the one who is united and joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run away from sexual immorality in any form, whether thought or behavior, whether visual or written. Boy, how clear can that be? And this, these amplified translations, these words which you'll find, they existed long before the internet, uh, which has uh, uh, all of the pornographic stuff available, books that were available and all that. So the idea and the concept has not changed. We are to flee. That means to run with all of your might in the opposite direction. And again, he's not talking about just the act itself, but he's talking about things that relate to that because they corrupt the mind uh, and they corrupt the thinking and separate us from God. Got to move on. That clock is really ticking. Uh, Every other sin that a man commits is outside of the body, but the one who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you? Brother Alex brought that out very clearly in our Sunday school class this morning. Uh, Whom you have received as a gift from God, the Holy Spirit, and that you are not your own property, but you were bought with a price. You were actually purchased with the precious blood of Jesus and made his own. So then honor and glorify God with your body. Now, all of that was pretty clear. I could stop right now uh, and hopefully that you would leave and think about these things uh, and think uh, seriously about them. But I want to read you one more verse and then we're going to try to relate all this together. Over in the book of Romans in the 12th chapter, first verse, there's one, uh, there's one thought and this thought is not only in Romans but to, or in Corinthians, but this thought is in Romans as well. And Paul says in the first verse of the 12th chapter, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, let me stop right there. He is making a transition from the first 11 chapters of Romans, which is, uh, which is uh, a sacrifice for our sins and the expiation of our sins and how our sins are taken away by the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice for our sins. But now he's making a transition, a, a, a transition into practical application. How does the things that have been done and the doctrinal things that we learned in the first 11 chapters, how do they apply to our everyday life and how do we put them in practice? You see, in Israel, they had two types of, uh, of sacrifices. One was for sin, to cover their sins, that their sins might be forgiven. But there were other sacrifices that were sacrifices of thanksgiving, thanking God for all that he's blessed us with and all that he's given us. And now Paul has trans- transitioned from the sacrifices for sin, which Jesus made, to the sacrifice of thanksgiving, which we make. 
And he says the way you do that is you present your bodies uh, a living sacrifice, holy. That's not W-H-O-L-Y, meaning altogether, although that applies. But the word is holy, and that means that means physically pure and morally upright. That's what the word holy means. Physically pure and spiritually uh, or morally upright. And so that's the only acceptable sacrifice uh, that God uh, wants is our physically pure bodies uh, and our morally pure spirits and behavior and character. And he says, which is your reasonable, reasonable service? And that'd be the title of my message. And I know I've been a long time getting here, uh, but reasonable expectations. There's a reasonable expectation that God has of us. Let me move on quickly. When I was growing up, and I've said this, I may have even said it here one time during the minister school. When I was growing up, I I grew up in a Christian family. My dad was a Baptist preacher. We were taught. We were taken to Sunday school. I was saved when I was 13 years old. Uh, And we didn't just talk about it. We lived those things in our family. We had prayer. We had prayer. Bible study. We did all of those things. I had good example from my parents. And so when I got to be a young teenager, about 16, 17 years old, uh, as young men want to do, and I would want to go out and do something uh, and participate in something, I'd ask my dad, can I do such and such? And his answer to me was at the time a little confusing, but I I certainly understand the wisdom of it now. His answer to me would be, you can do as you please, as long as you please to do right. And boy, what a weight that really is. I knew what was right. I'd been taught that. I'd been instructed. I knew what was expected of me. Uh, And so he put the burden back on me and said, you're free. You're free to do as you please, as long as you please to do right. And is that not what Paul is saying here? And I'm going to get a little more into that. As Christians, we have wonderful freedom. Freedom to do, freedom to say, freedom to go, uh, except any restrictions that our government might put on us. But we're free to do those things as long as they're right in the sight of God. And isn't that what Paul said back as I read there in Corinthians about people who have a wrong lifestyle? That they're not doing right and they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's go a little further and see what Paul says about what is right and what is wrong. Uh, there's, a, there's, there's, there's those things that he said were lawful, but things that were not expedient. In the 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians, in the 23rd verse, Paul says, and again, I'm going to read in the Amplified. He says, all things are lawful, that is morally legitimate and permissible, but not all things are beneficial or advantageous. All things are lawful, but not all things are constructive to character and edifying to the spiritual life. So see, he's put qualifications on that. I can do as I please as long as I do it within the confines of what is right, morally and spiritually. Uh, And so we understand that Paul is saying that no actions within themselves uh, are necessarily evil, uh, uh, but but, uh, they have to meet certain qualifications. They have to fall within that category of right. Uh, And how do we analyze that? How do we say, well, what's right? What's right? Well, I knew how to, I knew how to do that. I'd been instructed. I understood what God said, what my dad, the home rules were and all of those things. Uh, and so uh, what we had to do is, first of all, ask the question, is well, my action in accordance with God's design, is my action 
in accordance with God's design in creation. Why did he create man? Certainly not to just enjoy the flesh and indulge in things that were harmful or hurtful, but is what I'm going to do and undertake an action, it is, is it consistent with God's design in creation? And so that's one of the criteria that we look at. Uh, are we, uh, uh, is, is what I'm going to do, the action I'm going to take, is it designed to promote the general wealth, welfare of mankind? Well, certainly all the things that I read over there in Corinthians that Paul said not to do, they're not for the welfare of mankind, thievery, lying, stealing, drunkenness. All of those things don't promote the welfare of mankind. So there's one of the criteria that we look at. All things are lawful for me, but is it designed to promote uh, the, the welfare of my brothers and sisters and, and the and, uh, man as God created him and the society in which that we live. So we have measuring tools to use uh, to determine these things. Uh, and uh, the, the other thing uh, that we uh, have to refer back to Paul is, is what I'm going to do, is it m- m- controlling me or am I controlling it? That's what Paul said. He said, all things are legal to me. Uh, but he said, I will not be subject to any of them. I'm not going to let anything get such a hold on me uh, that I can't get away from it. That's what happens with alcohol, with drugs. Those things, uh, they first of all have a physical dependence on them. And then they begin to pull you uh, in that direction. They become the masters of your life. And so only you, only you by the help of God can flee and resist those things so that they don't get control of you because if they get control of you, then they're controlling you and not the Spirit of God. Uh, and so that's what Paul is, 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 is questioning or wanting us to understand. And then he said, all things are not expedient for me. Uh, and so expedience is within the limits of lawful. And so you ask yourself the question, what I'm about to do. When somebody tempts you and says, here, have a beer, or here, have a drink, or just try this pill, one of the things that ought to be going through your mind is, what will be the effect on me? How will it affect me if I do that? Now, I know that in the heat of the moment and the passions of teenage years and even middle age and even old uh, uh, people like myself, that sometimes the passion grabs a hold of you to do something, whatever it might be, but we're better off to take those two seconds and say, what, what effect is this going to have on me? Uh, is it going to end up controlling me or am I going to be able to control it? Unfortunately, most of the times we think we're stronger than we really are uh, and, uh, and we're weaker uh, than, uh, than, than, than we might imagine. And it's easy for something to get control of it. We have to ask the question, what will, how will this affect my liberty uh, and the Lord? Uh, well, I always have a guilty conscience of this such that I can't worship the Lord uh, freely because my conscience is bothering me because I've chosen to do this. And so we have to put those restrictions uh, upon ourselves. What will be the effect upon my fellow men? What will be my, uh, the effect on my relationship with God? Those are all uh, boundary lines that we each and every one have to test out when we choose to do as we please Are we pleasing to do right within the boundaries of what we know that God has said is right? I've got to move on, folks. I'm going to run way out of time. Because I want to get to this body. 
I want to get to this body thing that I read about in Corinthians and how important that our body was uh, and that Paul went into this such explanation about it uh, because we understand that God created this body and we see it in the fact that God created it such that it can interact with the environment that he put us in. And cleverly, as only God could do, he made the body out of the same material that's in the environment in which we live. He made it out of the dust of the ground. All of these things are made by God out of, if you will, the dust of the ground, uh, things that, that, that are earthly. And so he made this body uh, and he gave us uh, windows, if you will, uh, to the environment in which we can communicate with it. Hearing, sight, feel, uh, taste, all of those things are mechanisms that we use to motivate and to move in our environment. So we understand that the body is important. We know uh, that when one dies and the, and the spirit leaves the body or the soul, uh, we'll not get into the re- relationship between spirit and soul, but, but, but when life leaves the body, the body is dead and it returns back to the dust from whence it came. So this body is really important. The scriptures teach us that the body is so important that even uh, in the next life that God is preparing a body for us that will be uh, built such for the environment that we will enter into. If we're going to glory and to heaven with God, uh, then the body that he will give us will be incorruptible, undefiled, uh, and, 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 and that it fades not away, but it will be fitted for that environment. Those, I believe, who are, will be doomed to destruction uh, for an eternal punishment in hell because that they have ter- resisted and turned away from God, I don't know what their body will be like, but it will be fitted somehow for the environment in which a God will have to put them. That's how important the body is. It's so important that when God came down to save us from our sins, what did he do? He took a body like ours that he might experience the same things in this environment that we experience. He might know taste and he knows all those things, but he wanted us to know that he knew what it was like to be human. He knew what it was like to be tempted and tried and to feel pain and to feel hunger, all of those things. And we understand how important that body was. And not only while he lived and walked, but upon his resurrection, what did he do? He took on a body that was different, a body that could seemingly pass through the walls and appear wherever it wanted to, whenever he wanted to. We don't understand those things, but it reminds us of the importance of the body. Now, Let's talk about this body. The body that is given, this is what Paul said, meant when he said uh, that uh, the body is not for fornication, uh, but, uh, but for the Lord. Uh, and, and he talks about that meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God will destroy them both. What he's wanting us to understand is that this body has to be maintained. And it's maintained by food. Uh, and the food that we eat to, to, uh, uh, maintain this body, uh, that the, the body itself, uh, is neither, uh, it's designed. We have to go back to the design. The design of the body is specific, uh, and it's amoral and temporal. Now, what I mean about that is the body itself doesn't have any morality to it. It doesn't care. It's just a body. Uh, and it's temporal because it's going to pass away. Uh, and so uh, you can't blame this body. Yes, we have hormones. We have uh, chemistry that takes place. But the body itself is simply a vehicle to, uh, to enshrine life, our life. 
So the body itself is amoral. Uh, And Paul goes into that discussion in other places about the food that we eat, that the food doesn't make any difference. Uh, uh, Some people might say, don't eat this food or don't eat that food or whatever. But he wants you to to know that all things are are in themselves okay. Uh, Now, there were specific things that God told the children of Israel not to eat. We'll not get into that, but they were important. But the point that he wants us to make that his food is strictly for the maintenance of the body and the body itself doesn't care uh, about the food. Uh, you may choose to be a vegetarian and I may choose to eat meat. Uh, and over in, uh, in Corinthians, uh, he talks about that. Don't let that be uh, a, a problem between us as brothers and sisters because what you consider as, uh, as right to not eat meat and I consider that it's okay to eat meat, the body doesn't care. The body doesn't care. And so the body itself uh, is amoral and temporary because it will die. Look out in the cemetery. The evidence is around us every day. But now uh, let's go talk about the actions of the body, what the body does. Now, that's different. That's different than the body itself because the body uh, and it's designed specific uh, for actions. God created man and put him in a body for a purpose. So it was design specific. Uh, and that design is both moral and permanent. Moral and permanent. Uh, and so it's important for us to realize that what we choose to do with his body needs to be controlled by the design for which God created it morally uh, and permanently. And that was that we might honor him, that we might glorify him. In the book of Isaiah, uh, God says, I have created man, I have formed him, uh, I have made him for my glory. So that needs to be understood. That's why we have this body. Uh, It is to bring honor and glory to God through the use of it to lift him up. And Paul, in that chapter that I read in Corinthians, he said, when you engage in all of these other things, whether it's drunkenness, licentiousness, uh, homosexuality, uh, or, or any form of sexual immorality and all of those things, you're dishonoring the body. And therefore, you're contrary to the purpose for which that God created it. Uh, and you've gone outside of its design. And so it is designed to be And again, Brother Alex mentioned in Sunday school this morning, and I read it. It is designed to be a temple of God. God to dwell in the body. God communicated in fellowship uh, with Adam. uh, And I believe that uh, perhaps Adam had an indwelling, perhaps spirit of God within him. I don't know that for sure. But certainly there was a communication. We know, and as Paul said here that I read, uh, that when God saved us, we have been blessed by him putting a piece of himself, the indwelling Holy Spirit within us. Now, that doesn't happen to the lost world. They're going to do these things. They're going to be live those lifestyles that are contrary to God because they've not been saved. What more can we expect out of them? We hope that they would control their, themselves and their behavior in accordance with a moral society. But we see where our society is going, and certainly they are not. But we cannot join them in that. We have to be separate and different from them. And we have to realize when we've been saved, and and God has saved us by his grace, put a piece of himself in the inside, that this body is now his temple. He lives inside of us, and the body has to be dedicated to him, which is 
a reasonable service. Uh, and it needs to be presented to him holy. That is, well, what did I say? Physically pure. In other words, not drunken, not full of drugs, not full of immorality in our minds or in our thoughts. Uh, but our body needs to be physically pure but, and morally upright. That means following God's commands and teaching and doing that which is pleasing to God. Uh, And so uh, the design of this body is to be a temple of God. And boy, what a blessing that is to have God living within us. But along with that comes responsibilities. Along with that becomes things that we need to do. That's correct. It's moral purity is provided for by God in the institution of, of marriage. Now, sexuality and uh, those, uh, those things are part of the drive of the human body. But why? Why is that so? Because God created us so that we could procreate and bring other living creatures uh, into the world so that they too might glorify him in their body and in their actions and in their behavior. So the privilege to bring a a new life into existence. Yes, that life comes from God. But folks, we have an awesome, awesome power that God gave us. And that is to bring other living creatures into the world who have an eternal soul. Animals don't have that. We have animals, we love those animals, but we understand uh, that we, God gave them for use and for interaction and for our enjoyment, for our, our work sometime. They're all a blessing, but they have a, not a God consciousness like we do. Uh, and so uh, we have the privilege of bringing other eternal souls into the world. And with that comes responsibility to teach them what is right. What is wrong uh, and what God expects of us and how to behave ourselves. And God put all of that and the passions which are in the body because of the chemistry that he put there and the things that drive us to bring uh, other beings into the world. He put that all in a little square that he called marriage. And marriage is the holy place where God said these passions are to be so that we can fulfill the design, which is to bring other beings into the world, not to go out and just uh, be in the world and do whatever we want to satisfy the body. That's not the design that God had. That's what Paul meant when he said that. And and so uh, uh, we understand that Paul clearly said fornication or sexual misconduct in any form destroys both purpose and purity. Paul said that the body, uh, that we're, whatever we're joined to is what we become uh, and, and the way that we behave, and it's contrary to God. So we have to remember that, that it, it affects the body uh, in both purpose and purity. And Paul said that when we are to present our bodies to God, that we're to present them to him holy. It means pure uh, and upright. Uh, and so we see that all that fits together. Now, this verse, as I've already said, transitions in, in Romans to how that we are to behave. And I'm, I'm about to, to close. I'm going to come to a close in just a minute. But it's important for us to understand what Paul said at the end of that first verse in the 12th chapter of Romans, which is your reasonable service. Your reason, it's not unreasonable. 
God has blessed us. He's blessed us with so much. He's given us the ability to, to interact with our environment, interact with each other, to, to have a, a mate uh, who, who, uh, that we can uh, work with and that we can be united to. Uh, that's why that God uh, brought Eve out of Adam and then reunited them together so that the two could be one. What a blessing that it is to be married. And everything that is outside of that undermines God's institution. It undermines what God has designed for humanity. And folks, everything in our society is working against that. Uh, They're promoting the single family home. They're promoting uh, all kinds of things that are contrary to God's design of humanity and the institution of marriage. And all of this about gay marriage and same-sex marriage and all of these things undermine the institution of marriage. It doesn't mean that we ought to go out in the streets with guns and shoot people who have that view. It means we ought to teach them by our own behavior and our own actions what is right and what is wrong. And young people, you have a great opportunity to do that. You're living in a whole lot more difficult time than I was uh, about 60 years ago or so, 65 years ago. I'm 74 now, so ever how many years it was that, that I came into my teenage years. You're living into a different society. Many of the things that you guys uh, are exposed to openly, they weren't even spoken hushed when I was in school, but look how far our society has moved. Who's going to, who's going to teach the world what's wrong and what's right, if certainly, if not God's people? Uh, and so we have that privilege and that opportunity. I got to move on. God's reasonable expectation of us. He has a reasonable expectation that we present our bodies, keep them pure, keep them holy, and present them to him so that he can use them for his honor and his glory in the society in which that we live and around the people in which that we come in contact with. Uh, And so that's reasonable for God to expect that. Uh, It's reasonable from, from God that we put his honor and his glory ahead of our own passions and desires. That we've got to put him ahead. That means denying ourselves sometimes going through this thought process of, well, this may be legal, but is it right for me to do it? Uh, And uh, is it morally right? And so you put yourself through that test uh, continually. And, and you will do that all of your life. But, uh, but we have to remember, it's not unreasonable for God to expect us to glorify him. After all, he saved our soul. He took us from uh, 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 the uh, sure destruction of a devil's hell and gave us hope when we had no hope. Like the Corinthians that Paul talked about, such were some of you. Such were all of us one way or another before God saved us. But he took us out of the muck and the mire and he set us on solid ground. And he said, now you're one of mine and I've prepared a place for you beyond your imagination. And all I ask of you is give me the honor and glory and live your life that I've given you in such a way that it won't drag me and my character through the mud. Is that unreasonable? No, not at all. That's a reasonable expectation. God has a reasonable expectation for us to be a disciple. That's what the term is used in the New Testament. We are disciples. What is a, what is a disciple? A disciple is a learner. That's someone who, uh, at least at the time uh, of Plato and the time of Christ, 
the way disciples uh, were was they spent 24-7 with their master, learning all about him, following his ever footstep, uh, reproducing in their own lives what they observed in their master. And Jesus had disciples who lived with him, followed him, saw everything that he did, and yet without sin. He was without sin. And so they saw the character of God come through in the person of Jesus Christ. Is it unreasonable for God to expect us to be a disciple, meaning continually at his feet, learning, looking at him, beholding him, reflecting him on our character, upholding him to those that we come in contact with? That's not unreasonable. That's what a disciple is. Uh, and when he saves us, he makes us disciples to become learners and followers and ambassadors for him. To tell the, the whole world the good news that they can have Jesus too. They can have this relationship with God. They can have this fellowship uh, if only they'll turn from the evils of this world and turn toward God, repenting of their sins and trusting uh, in the work that Jesus did. And so that's not unreasonable. It's not unreasonable if you're a member of this church or one of the Lord's churches. It's not unreasonable for them to have certain expectations. And one of those expectations is to show up. I mean, half of the battle is just showing up. I've learned that through a life of working. Uh, many times I had jobs to do or was sent to meetings on the other side of the world sometimes. But the first thing I had to do was show up. Uh, and so it's not unreasonable for your church to which you belong to expect you to show up uh, and to be there to support the church, uh, uh, and not only with your finances, but, but every way that you can, most of all, using your body, your voice, uh, and all the, the things that God has given you to bring glory to God. And when you do that, God is, is glorified, uh, you are blessed, and the people in the church are blessed. It's not unreasonable for the church to to expect that or to expect us to promote the work of the church and to watch over one another, which we do when we pray for one another. We talk about somebody being sick or or going through the loss of a loved one to support one another. It's not unreasonable for a church to expect its members to behave in the correct manner. And I'm going to close with this last point, but it's an important point. The lost world has an expectation of those who say, I'm a Christian. And it's not unreasonable for them to expect you to behave like a Christian, to behave like that God is the center of your life. That means behave yourself publicly and all that you say and all that you do reflecting the character of God as you see it uh, in the the Lord Jesus Christ because he is our example. He had a body like ours. He went through the same pain, the same suffering, all of those things. And all we have to do is look at him. It says also in this Corinthian letter, uh, I believe it's in the third chapter, I'm not sure. Uh, but it says uh, that we with open face beholding the glory of God uh, as, as, as in a mirror or as in a glass, a mirror, are changed from glory unto glory. In other words, the more that we behold him and look at him, the more we become like him. And that's our objective as we start out our Christian journey is to look at him and become like him. You know, I can't imagine why any parent would not want their children to be like Jesus. 
I can't understand that. Well, you can't be like him if you don't know anything about him and you don't, uh, don't learn anything about him. That's where we as parents and Sunday school teachers and preachers come in is to instruct and teach about him uh, and to encourage others to learn. And in learning about him, they'll want to become like him. And in that process somewhere, God will convince each of us when we cross that age of accountability that we need to have a relationship with him and therefore we need to be saved. And so it's not unreasonable for the world to expect us when we say we're Christian to behave like Christians, not backbiting, not tattling, not being out in drunken brawls. It just, it just really irked me during all these riots and all of these upheavals, especially a couple of years ago, to see people out on the street protesting, uh, and not just protesting, but in violence, in violence and curse words coming out of their mouths such that, you, that you'd have to, uh, they'd have to bleep it out. And yet they've got a big cross around their neck or a big cross tattooed on their arm. You know what that cross represents. That cross represents Jesus Christ. And so they're putting these symbols on saying, well, look at me. I'm like Jesus. But they're nothing like Jesus. They're nothing like him. Uh, And they can say it with their mouth, but their actions are contrary. Don't be one of those. Don't be one of those. Don't be one of those. Speak truth with firmness, compassion, and humility. Take a stand for the things of God firmly, but compassionately and with humility. Don't look for a fight. It'll come to you, uh, and, and don't try to, 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 uh, to, to uh, stir something up. Uh, you'll stir up enough if you just stand on the truth humbly, humbly, not with, uh, with pride, but humbly stand on that truth. I'm sorry, folks, but I just can't do this because it, it's just not morally right for me to do this. And just leave it at that. Now, if they inquire more, then explain why. But take that stand and stand right. Proclaim salvation free and available through Jesus Christ to all that will listen. That's what our job is. And we open up those doors many times, most times, simply by doing the right thing and somebody inquiring, well, how come you're taking that position? How come you're being that way? And so it opens up a door of opportunity for us then to tell them why we're that way. But first of all, we have to, to, to do the things which God has lined out for us. I'm going to close. I've already been longer than I intended to. But I hope you'll think about this. It was not an easy message for me. I've got grandkids here. I didn't know they were going to be here this morning. And they're teenagers. They're teenagers. Uh, and they're, they're, they're starting to go out and be exposed to these things. I've got other grandkids. Some of them are already in their 20s. And they're already out in the world exposed to these things. And it worries me seeing the directions that they're being pulled. Uh, and it's so easy to get pulled that direction. And if you're listening to the garbage uh, that society is telling you about morality and sexuality and all those, uh, and the use of drugs and marijuana, you can legalize it all you want to, but it's still a gateway drug. I don't care what you say. Uh, it is because the body's going to become dependent and wanting it. Uh, and, and then when you don't have a month, enough money to get it, then that's going to lead you to, to, to doing something dishonest to get money to buy it. All of those things are tied together. Take that first little step and put the nose of the camel in the tent and before long the whole camel's in the tent. You've got to be aware of that. So this was not an easy message, but, but it's one that is timely for our people, for our young people, because that's, that's a tough place out there for them. They need all the support and encouragement they can get from us as an older generation, and they're going to be looking at us. They're going to be looking at us to see our behavior. Does our behavior line up with our character? And you may be free to do a lot of things, uh, but is it expedient? 
to do that. Remember, you're forming young minds here. You may take that drink of wine and it'll bother you and there's nothing maybe morally wrong with it. But if it's going to set a wrong example for those that are, that are observing and watching you, abstain from that. Abstain from that. That's what Paul is trying to say. Anything in and of itself may not be harmful to you who are, are strong, but to the weaker, it may hurt them. And so we should abstain from that for their sake. That's the point that Paul's trying to get across. I'm going to close. If we could get a song, uh, we'll have a, a song and close. And, and, and I, don't, I, you know, I don't need to give an altar call. I don't know whether Brad does or not. But the altar call that you need to listen to is the one that's coming to your heart from the Holy Spirit. This is a good place right here to seek the Lord, to call upon Him, to yield your body, mind and soul and all that's in you to Him. And when you do that, to his satisfaction, and that's the important thing, it's to his satisfaction, not to mom and dad or the preacher, or even your satisfaction, but to his satisfaction. And when he's satisfied, he'll take that trouble away out of your heart, and he'll give you peace beyond imagination. That's how he communicates with us. While we stand and sing.